0: Episode 7 of my brand new podcast, airing it out. Files from Leahy's Locker Room. We're here on a Friday, and uh, happy Valentine's Day to you, one and all. And uh, hopefully, you will enjoy it with your sweetheart. I actually have to work tonight on Valentine's Day. One of the, uh, I guess, kind of a pitfall of uh, being a sportscaster is sometimes you have to work on holidays like this, but. Uh, it's kind of special for me, uh, working on a day like this because, you know, I, with a broadcast tonight on Valentine's day, I can, uh, give my wife a shout out on the air in front of a, uh, nationwide listening audience. And I plan to do that tonight. I'll be working tonight as, uh, my hockey team, Merrimack College will open up a big, big weekend series with the Boston College Eagles. So uh, I know my wife will be listening tonight and, uh. I'll take the opportunity to uh, send her a shout out here on Valentine's Day 2020. Well, I uh, thought I'd do another uh, quick episode of my podcast. And uh, for this particular episode, which is episode seven, I'm just going to have some fun with this one. I'm going to go back and talk about a few uh, interesting stories that I've had over the years in baseball and hockey uh, the list really is exhaustive. You know, I could, it's a topic I could probably talk about for hours on end, but, uh, I'm just going to pick a few of my favorites here and, uh, give you a sense of, of how much fun it's been over the years. You know, as I said in my opening, uh, episode, I've been in baseball and hockey now for, uh, you know, we're coming up on, uh, 25 years in the business, uh, starting with the high school hockey and then moving into, uh, pro baseball and pro hockey. So as you can imagine, over the last quarter of a century, I've had some pretty cool experiences in the booth, and, and I'm looking forward to having many more. But I thought I'd just have some fun and go back and, and relay some funny stories, some interesting stories that I've had. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. I'll start with a few baseball stories, and then I'll finish up with a couple of hockey stories. Uh, the, the first baseball story that, that comes to mind was Uh, an ill-fated bus trip we had one night. I was working with the Kalamazoo Kings uh, in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. We were playing a road game in Chillicothe, Ohio one night. We were playing a team called the Chillicothe Paints. And uh, we finished up uh, a series there in Chillicothe. I believe the final game of that series was on a Saturday night. In fact, it was a Saturday night. So uh, we packed up the bus. We're heading out of the, uh, the ballpark which, interestingly enough, was located on the grounds of a VA hospital. And uh, so we're we're getting ready to leave Chillicothe, Ohio, and we get about, I'd say, maybe an hour into the bus trip home, and all of a sudden, uh, the bus starts developing trouble. It pulled into the breakdown lane on the side of the highway, and uh, the engine wound up being shot. Uh, I don't know what it was, whether it was the alternator in the bus or... Uh, Something went, whether it was a belt or an alternator, I'm not sure what it was, but but the bus was fried, and we were unable uh, to uh, continue our trip. So, uh, you know, when you're on the road and something like like that happens, it's a lot more difficult than when you're at home. You know, when you're at home, uh, and you're, for example, if you're getting ready to leave, on a bus trip from home and the bus breaks and you just call another bus and they can have one there quickly. And you can resume your trip. Well, we had to do the same thing uh, on the road uh, after we broke down in Ohio. We had to call the bus company in Michigan, uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and they had to send another bus. Now, you got to realize that uh, that was about, what, an eight-hour trip, eight, nine-hour trip from Kalamazoo down to where we were. So, you know, we weren't going anywhere. We were not going anywhere. We were uh, we were stuck on the side of the road, and uh, basically we slept on the interstate in Ohio on the bus overnight. We were uh, we were all uh, stretched out on the bus, nowhere to go, no food, uh, nothing, and uh, the manager of the team, Fran Redden, and all the coaches and were sitting up front, and the players and myself were uh, all stretched out. Uh, knowing that we had absolutely nowhere to go for the next whatever it was nine ten hours, and uh, we were completely stranded alongside of the road, and I remember calling my wife on that Sunday morning. You know, it was I probably called her about six o'clock on Sunday morning and said, Hey, you know, we're we're stranded here in Ohio. We're struck we're stuck on the side of the road. We have nowhere to go, and we got to wait for the bus uh, to come pick us up down in uh, from Kalamazoo. Now the interesting thing was. Uh, we had a game the following day back home in Kalamazoo. We had a, I believe it was a five o'clock game, uh, the following day. So, we uh, the bus finally came. I don't know I, 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 what time it was—eight, nine o'clock in the morning, maybe—and uh, or perhaps it was earlier than that because I know that the, the bus ride back to Kalamazoo took several hours. But anyway, we got back to Homer Striker Field at one o'clock in the afternoon. And we had a five o'clock game that day, and wouldn't you know what, the Kings went on to win that Sunday game. So uh, fatigue certainly didn't seem to be a factor. I was exhausted because I didn't sleep at all on the side of the road uh, after the bus broke down. I, I, you know, As a general rule, I find it very difficult to get comfortable on buses, and uh, that, was, um, that was the case there. So uh, when the bus came... From Michigan to pick us up. I still had no sleep. I I don't think I slept on the way back to Kalamazoo. I went and I did the game and uh, when I got back to the apartment I crashed and it was probably the most satisfying night of sleep uh, I ever had. So that's the worst bus trip I've ever been on. You know and I've been on other buses too that have had problems. Uh, I remember we were in Staten Island once and we had to call uh, for another bus. A bus broke down in New York City and in Staten Island. We're on our way to Staten Island. They sent a bunch of school buses to pick us up. So uh, I don't think there's a broadcaster out there that that hasn't had a similar story of uh, bus breakdowns. So uh, that was certainly my my, uh, hairiest bit of travel uh, that I've ever had. I've had a few uh, interesting guests on the radio with me um, in my baseball work. One of the people that uh, I interviewed during a uh, North Shore Spirit game was uh, George the Animal Steel, uh, the former wrestler. Uh, George was in town for a promotion. He was one of uh, a couple of WWE stars who showed up at the old Fraser Field. Mick Foley also showed up uh, once, but I had George on the air with me and I started to interview him and I remember when I, when I introduced myself and uh, I welcomed George to the broadcast. He he uh, kind of went into his uh, George Steele character. If you remember, uh, he was uh, a wrestler who had a green tongue, and he used to tear apart the turnbuckles. And uh, I remember uh, introducing George on the broadcast, and he just went into that George Steele uh, act, you know, saying "Hey, you know." And uh, eventually, uh, you know, of course, he uh, we did have a chance to talk about, uh, you know, uh, the wrestling industry, and we talked about. Um, you know, his opinions of, of how wrestling had uh, had come along, and also talked about his background as a physical education teacher in Michigan. His real name was Jim Myers, and a uh, real legendary guy. I remember I had him on during a spirit game, and uh, that was a lot of fun. I also had Doug Flutie on the air with me once. Doug was uh, at uh, Fraser Field with his band, and they were performing a pregame concert, so you can imagine when you have Doug Flutie on the air, there's uh, plenty of Uh, cool things to talk about. We talked about his uh, football days at Boston College, his time in the NFL, and uh, also his music career. Music is a passion that I have, of course. Anybody who knows me knows how much I love music. And uh, Doug, we had a chance to talk to him about, you know, his uh, musical uh, experiences and his band. And uh, it was uh, was terrific uh, having Doug on the air with me and I believe we also chatted about his charitable work. You know, Doug uh, does a lot of work uh, uh, in the philanthropy uh, aspect of life, and uh, we had a chance to talk about that. So Doug was certainly one of the uh, cooler guests I've had on. Uh, another baseball story I remember, uh, just a couple of miscellaneous fun stories. I remember one day in Aberdeen, Maryland, I was down there with the Spinners, and we were playing a game down at Ripken Stadium in Aberdeen, Maryland. And uh, for those who aren't familiar with the ballpark, the broadcast location is on the upper level of the stadium. And you're situated in such a way that you're above the netting, the safety netting that uh, sits behind home plate. So occasionally you'll have foul balls coming back up that way. That's one of the, few, the one of the uh, few ballparks that you can have a foul ball come straight at you. Brooklyn's another one Brooklyn you're completely outdoors and uh I've had several balls come back at my head at MCU Park but Aberdeen I remember one day uh, I think it was a Sunday afternoon we were down there and I was doing the game and uh, one of the batters uh at the the batter who was at the plane I should say I hit a foul ball coming right back at me screaming right at me and, uh, of course, when you're in that situation, you have a split second to react and a lot of thoughts go through your mind, you know, am I going to get hit with this foul ball? Is my equipment going to get uh, destroyed? So, strangely enough, the first thought that I have uh, when that situation happens is I got to protect my equipment at all costs, because, you know, I, all the equipment I have is uh, is mine, you know, so I, I endeavor to protect it at all times. So. I instinctively stuck out my hand to try and deflect this foul ball away, and uh, the ball hit me uh, flush in the hand. I protected my equipment, but uh, I wound up having a, an awfully swollen hand. I thought my hand was broken, actually, and I remember I was in the middle of the inning. After the Aberdeen uh, people saw what happened, uh, you know, the trainer came rushing in and uh, you know said, "Do you need some ice? Do you need anything?" and I had to just take my headset off and say, you know, talk to me when we get to the half inning, you know, because I'm on the air right now and I've got to finish this inning. So I, I think they wound up coming, going and getting some ice for me, and I iced my hand down while I'm uh, broadcasting the game the rest of the way. Fortunately, I didn't break anything, but, uh, you know, that was one of the scarier incidents I've had on the air. Uh, another baseball story I like to uh, talk about is the hottest broadcast I've ever done. And that was a game in Saugee, Illinois. I hope I'm pronouncing the name of that town correctly, but we were playing the Gateway Grizzlies on a midweek afternoon game. Now, that's uh, across from St. Louis, across the river from, from uh, St. Louis. Uh, we were at uh, GCS Ballpark, home of the Gateway Grizzlies. And uh, I believe it was a Wednesday afternoon. The temperature was easily 100 degrees and uh up in the press box it felt a whole lot hotter and um, of course you take the the temperature in the press box and you you kind of multiply that uh, by whatever factor it is and and down on the field it's it's awfully hotter but i remember doing that game and uh the sun they have an open air press box there at gateway and the sun just kept um, Uh, beating down inside, and everybody was miserable that day. And I remember one of the field umpires fainted uh, on the field. Uh, That's how hot it was. And uh, we got back to uh, Kalamazoo. I had a chance to talk with the catcher of the Kings, a guy by the name of Mike Russell. And I interviewed him for the broadcast, and I I said, Mike, how did you survive uh, that Uh, hot situation you know for and for you know of course catchers and umpires it's it's more brutal because you know they have to wear all the gear and all the equipment the masks, the chest protectors and all and mike actually told me i actually stopped sweating at one point you know the body actually was shutting itself down and uh, it was just uh just a miserable miserable day you know it was just plain old too hot and i you know i actually wrote about that in my first book uh, which was called Living a King's Life. And uh, that was the hottest broadcast I've ever done. And if you've ever been in the Midwest in the summertime, you realize that places like St. Louis and Kansas City, they get hot like few other cities get hot. So I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, just sweating profusely throughout the game and uh, probably losing about three to four pounds uh, in the broadcast booth that day alone. So that was my hottest broadcast of all time. Uh, So uh, those are some baseball stories that uh, I thought have been fun. Uh, There are a couple of hockey stories as well that uh, I'd like to share with you. Uh, One hockey story uh, came uh, when I was doing a Merrimack game. I'd say this was maybe four or six years ago. Merrimack was playing Vermont at La Rink. And uh, we had the fire alarm go off during the middle of a game. And uh, it turns out that uh, in the lobby, one of the uh, young fans, a young kid actually pulled a fire alarm and uh, we had to evacuate the building. Uh, I had to suspend my broadcast uh, explaining uh, to our audience uh, what happened and the fact that the fire department was kicking us out of the building. So I had to suspend the broadcast and go out into the parking lot. Everybody was uh, congregated out in the parking lot, players, coaches, uh, fans and, uh, the fire department had to go and, uh, you know, do what they do and uh, initiate the all clear signal. So, uh, we had to wait for that to happen. And then the uh, players came back in, they had to restretch and we resumed the game, uh, from, uh, exactly the point where it was suspended. So I don't know what the consequences were, uh, for that young kid. I don't know if he had a talking to from the fire department. I know his parents probably, uh, had something to say about it, but uh, uh, that was sort of, sort of a strange situation I had with Merrimack. Another uh, situation I remember, another story I remember happened up in Orono, Maine. We were up there for the playoffs one day, and uh, Merrimack was having all kinds of uh, pregame parties and festivities uh, prior to the uh, series with Maine. I remember the hotel was all decked out and. There were uh, pregame get-togethers. It was really a festive atmosphere in the playoffs, as it always is. Well, Merrimack had a few uh, fan buses uh, that took us, took the uh, fans up to uh, Orono for that playoff series, and uh, I remember uh, uh, being in Alfond Arena uh, prior to one of the playoff games up there. And one of the uh, fans, uh, one of the Merrimack fans, had a uh, flag. Uh, with a Merrimack banner on it, attached to a a post, and somehow uh, this guy managed to smuggle this flag and banner into Alfonso Arena. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he got by uh, security to get that thing in the arena. But uh, I'm in the arena getting ready to to go on the air. Maybe even been on the air at the time, but I, don't, I I don't recall. But I just look down and I see this Merrimack fan with the flag and the banner, and he's running at full speed uh, around the concourse of Alphon Arena with the Merrimack Banner, uh, trying to fire up the Merrimack fans. Now, if you've ever uh, been up in Maine uh, for a hockey game, you know how passionate those fans are up there. And uh, the Merrimack fan, uh, I guess, was uh, trying to equal the level of passion that uh, those Maine hockey fans uh, bring And he was actually literally uh, running around the concourse at full speed uh, with that banner. I thought it was really humorous. So uh, I guess uh, uh, the end of the story was that uh, Maine's security staff uh, eventually wound up confiscating uh, the uh, flag and the banner. And uh, there were no further consequences. Merrimack, of course, had their uh, big fan section there at Arena That remained... uh, Undisturbed, but the the bearer of the, uh, the Merrimack flag, uh, running around the uh, concourse at Alfonso Arena, uh, he had that uh, flag confiscated. So I guess they didn't take too kindly to that uh, up in Orono. Uh, so you know a couple of other random uh, tidbits. You know I remember being in uh, uh, Pennsylvania the night uh, Saddam Hussein was executed. I was uh, we were on a road trip to Robert Morris. And that was uh, between Christmas and New Year's. That was several years ago. Of course, that was back in the uh, Mark Dennehy uh, era, and uh, I remember uh, I b- remember Coach Dennehy uh, mentioning that to the team on the bus, and uh, I th- do remember that. That, in fact, that's the only time I've ever been uh, to Robert Morris. Uh, also, uh, you know, I talked about my hottest broadcast. Uh, My coldest broadcast, obviously, would would be a hockey scenario. Uh, As I think back, I think probably the coldest rink I've ever done a game in is Harvard. Uh, We were there uh, several years ago, and Harvard uh, at uh, the Bright Center in Alston, you set up uh, at the end, it's an end zone view, and I just remember being extremely cold throughout the course of that game. Of course, our rink at Merrimack is pretty cold as well, but uh, that rink at Harvard was awfully cold. And uh, they say the rink down at Princeton is, is very cold as well. Um, Princeton uh, is one of the 20 college hockey arenas that uh, I have never been to. But I hear multiple reports about how uh, how cold that rink is down there. In fact, I'll tell you the 20 uh, college hockey rinks I've never been to. I've of course, been to all the Hockey East arenas. In Atlantic Hockey, I have not been yet to uh, Air Force, AIC, uh, let's see. I've also never been to Sacred Heart. Merrimack and Sacred Heart, uh, the only time I've seen them play was in North Andover. In the Big Ten, I have yet to visit Michigan State, have yet to been, uh, be to Ohio State, and uh, also Penn State. Although Merrimack will be going out to Penn State next year. ECAC, the only two rinks I haven't been to are Princeton and Yale. In the NCHC, I have not been to Miami. I have not been to uh, Omaha. Have also not been to St. Cloud State. Have also not been to Western Michigan, although I do know where that arena is. I lived in Kalamazoo, of course, for two years, so I know exactly where the arena is, but I've never done a game there. And uh, WCHA, I've never been to uh, Alabama Huntsville. I have yet to be to uh, Ferris State. Also have not been to Michigan Tech or Minnesota State. Also have not been to Northern Michigan. Of course, I also have not been to Arizona State either. So uh, all the other 40 rinks I've been to. So that's kind of a sidelight to the stories uh, that I've been trying to portray here. Uh, And uh, I hope to uh, visit a few more before all is said and done. So uh, those are just a few of the uh, funny and quirky stories that I've had over my 25 year career. I know there will be more to come. That's the beauty of broadcasting. When you show up, uh, you see something that, uh, you may never have seen before. And I think that's part of the allure of uh, what keeps us going here. And, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, to sharing uh, several more stories uh, as the years progress. So uh, those are the ones that uh, kind of tug at me from, from the top of my head. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this quick podcast segment on a Friday, Valentine's Day, 2020. I'd like to invite you next week to tune in. Next Friday, I'll be taping the next episode. And uh, I'll be talking with uh, Mike Logan, a good friend of mine. He's the uh, radio voice of Providence Friars uh, men's hockey. Mike and I will be talking about uh, radio versus TV broadcasting, the differences between the two. We're going to hear Mike's approach uh, for uh, how he handles a radio broadcast and television broadcast. so... It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to learn a lot from Mike and I know you will too. So I will be in Providence, Rhode Island next Friday. We're going to tape uh, the podcast segment next Friday and then we'll get it published right away. So you, you definitely want to tune in uh, for that. Just a reminder that uh, our music segments here on the podcast, uh, Rural Stride is the name of our intro song. And that was recorded by Josh Kirsch, courtesy of Media Right Productions. And the closing theme is is called Daily's Real. and that was recorded by Nat Keefe with the bow ties. So I've got to get going. I've got to get up to Merrimack tonight as Merrimack takes on Boston College, and hopefully we'll create some new stories tonight. Thank you very much for tuning in. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and we will talk to you with the next episode next Friday down in Providence, Rhode Island, and I hope you can tune in. So have a great one, everybody, and thanks for tuning in to Airing It Out. Files from Leahy's Locker Room.